2: To the Gravity Podcast. It's uh, great to be here with my friends Matt and Christy. Hello, friends. Hello. Hey. Hello. Um, and y'all, listeners, as well. Uh, it's wonderful uh, to have you with us. Um, this is um, not a plant, this is part of our series that we're doing right now on um, how to read the Bible, um, interpreting scripture um, after after the ways it used to interpret it uh, don't work anymore. (laughs) And it's a bit of a follow-up because the first, the very first episode that we did um, in this series was with Chris Green. You can go back in the podcast feed and find that. But we did, uh, we talked with him about um, his book, Sanctifying Interpretation. We talked about like uh, how to, one of the things we chatted about was how to deal with passages that sort of scandalize our conscience yeah. Um, uh, especially in the Old Testament and um, being unsure of kind of what to do about that. And so um, we got a comment in the gravity community, um, which anybody can sign up for by going to gravitycommons.com uh, slash community. Um, and uh, under this episode, here's a, here's a comment from um, one of the people in the community, a new series on reading and interpreting the Bible subtitle, everything you've heard is wrong. <laughs> lord have mercy y'all this one undid me i mean goodness where do i even begin i'm okay with some mystery and such but this turns my bible college and lifelong learning of inerrancy on its head i'm going to have to hear a sermon from ben or matt or chris on how i can sit with the genocidal passages of scripture and it be something good in quotation marks the scripture made me uncomfortable before this podcast and Chris is saying that isn't a bad thing. I'm not sure where to go with that honestly. Mm. So, um, that comment plus somebody else who left us a voice message about the very same thing to say, "Hey, I, I this is intriguing to me. This idea is intriguing to me, but like what do I what are you talking about? How does it actually work to read something in the Bible that scandalizes our conscience that seems like God is commanding something that I find abhorrent? And how do we read that and not just throw out the Bible. I think this is the, yeah. these are the options I think that we feel like we have oftentimes are either I have to not be scandalized by this. And I have to affirm that this is good, this horrible thing, or I just throw out the Bible and say, it's just a bunch of stories. doesn't have anything to do with God. Um, but how do I yeah. hold on to a doctrine of inspiration, which is like God actually speaks through these scriptures, but also maybe not in the way that I used to think that God yeah. spoke through these scriptures. So, we thought we'd record a podcast with an example um, because when I read this question, um, I I thought of a sermon that Matt had recently preached at our church. Um, we're going through a lectionary that kind of give a lectionary that gives us some of the more difficult uh, passages that um, some of us don't know what to do with. Um, so that's been fun for us as preachers. Uh, but Matt, you had uh, you had a sermon from mm-hmm. Second Samuel. Yeah, that you preached recently. Um, wait, yeah. wait,
0: wait. Before okay. we get into the actual yes. story, yeah. can I just like set the stage just a little bit about, I? we all come to scripture with our own presuppositions. Yeah, sure. Right. And so as we begin this whole discussion, I think there's a lot of people that come to the Bible and to scripture with the presupposition that every story is like a good lesson to teach us.
1: -hmm. Yes. Yes.
0: And so just to keep that in mind, like I'm, I personally, okay, I didn't get to hear your sermon, Mm -hmm. so we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But like, I think that there are lots of places in scripture where, like, not a good example is given. Right. Sure. right and and I'm not sure that we all come to scripture with that mindset
1: right yeah yeah we take we is take these stories as I like right. um, the writer of scripture and God God's self is commending the example in this passage right. yes
0: yes yes and and I, I just think before we actually get into the story we gotta just acknowledge that that is not
1: yes true. this this is I, mm-hmm. I wanted to share about this too Christy. I think this is right on I I've learned this from Jewish people and how they interpret their scriptures. Mm. Um, Tell me now. <clears throat> So, I, I think what you're describing is a particularly kind of um, I I, I, th- I think it's a modern Western sort of problem where we demand texts mm-hmm. do certain things in order to ac- to a um, so they they would accommodate to our 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 culture and our presuppositions and our scientific worldview and how we think how we how we understand things like truth, right? Mm-hmm. But but um yeah. So I've used this I've used this example on the podcast before, and and it's not this isn't a, a one off example. This is this is an example that's t- that typifies a lot of how scripture works. So you've got in the Jewish scriptures you've got Deuteronomy saying things like, hey, if you keep covenant, you things will go well with you in the land, and you'll be blessed. But if you break covenant, things will not go well with you in the land, and you'll be cursed, right? And so that's sometimes talked about as the Deuter- Deuteronomical um, um, writer, you know, um, theology. thats their theology, right? But then you have yeah. other places mm-hmm. in Scripture, most potently and notably the book of Job, that seems like an explicit repudiation of that theology. Job's friends right. spend 40 plus chapters saying, No, this is how God works. You must have done mm-hmm. something wrong, which is why you've been punished. And Job pleads his case, pleads his mm-hmm. case, pleads his case, pleads his case. And finally, God shows up and, um, you know, rebukes Job's friends. And basically says you don't understand what's going on with cursings and blessings. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too it's too much for you, right? Sure. So, which one yeah. is right? Well, if we if we decide one is right, we have to eliminate the other as scripture, right?
0: Well, some people say that, or maybe we just say the genre in which we're reading has to be taken into consideration. Yes, so- so say more about that, that, Christy. What do you,
1: how does that give us access to something different or helpful?
0: Yeah, what what is the author intending? What's the author's intended meaning? Why is it being written? We've got, we have to ask better questions. And I think that that's where we fall short as to like, we come to scripture thinking that it's all the same
2: mm-hmm.
0: or that it's all meant to teach us like, "Quote unquote," yeah. a good lesson. Yes.
1: Let, let me get back to that because I think so. We run into this when we read things like the proverbs. Like people take proverbs right. as commands and promises, and proverbs are, ne- are aren't meant to be taken as promises and commands. They're meant to be generalized cones or wisdom sayings that have kind of a a broad base, general truth truthiness in them, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of run into problems, though, if you take a verse from Proverbs and you slap it on, for instance, um, you know, the Proverbs talk about how people who are suffering poverty are lazy. Um, but if you take that verse yeah. and you slap it on every poor person and you say, this is the how the right. Bible speaks about poverty, you're missing out on mm-hmm. the vast majority of most of the psalms. all the psalms, all the prophets, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. The book of Exodus, yeah. and you're and, yeah. and you're you're yeah. disallowing this deeper explanation of how poverty works, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but getting back to like Job and Deuteronomy, real quick, I what I'm learning yeah. from Jewish interpreters is let them be in conversation. There's yeah. there there is dis, there's disputes in theology. And the dispute doesn't need to be resolved. Part of the revelation is the disputation. This is one of the reasons why Jesus' teaching is so often in the context of a dispute. This is how Jews do theology. And so I'm learning just to sit with... The tension between these two voices, as being good somehow, good, better than if there was just better than if Deuteronomy and Job said the same thing. Better that I have to take that on faith because everything about me and the way I want theology done, I have to resolve, harmonize, um, and subordinate one of those things to the other. So that's one example of how I'm yeah, learning do- how to read scriptures from Jewish people, how, how Jews do theology. Mm-hmm. And then when you like read the Mishnah or other, other uh, things where people are making commentaries on scripture, rabbis have so many different takes on different things. And, and the rabbis don't get canceled. Meaning, meaning, if you have a take that's outlandish or weird or off the wall, like you, there's, you, there's no reprisals. It just goes into the disputation hopper and you wrestle with it, mm-hmm. which is so mm-hmm. bonkers okay. to me. Cause you know, if, we, we, that's not how Christians
0: white Western Christians do theology. No, because they're all about just being yeah. quote unquote, right. Yeah. Yes. It, it's, it's, uh, someone said the other day, it's transactional rather than transformational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just information that they mm-hmm. want to be right about rather than it actually like really being okay with questions and yeah. Yeah. really digging in and allowing those and things wrestling. to transform yeah. us. Wrestling. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one nice. thing. But this other the other issue is <clears throat> okay. What what you were saying earlier, Christy, I think before we hit record was that a lot of people assume or maybe, maybe we recorded this. I can't remember. We've been talking about this for a while now. But but um, that people, when they read scripture, they think that, that what's being told here, the narrative, is a model that we mm-hmm. must endorse.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Right? And I think that's getting back to this, um, the person who left us a voicemail, Ben, and uh, the, the person mm-hmm. who commented in the Gravity community on the commons, that mm-hmm. um, this really jacks it really jacks us up. We don't know what to do with it. It Creates cognitive dissonance when then we read texts um, like the one we're going to talk about today. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into that. It's Second Samuel twenty one, yes. one through fourteen. Uh, Matt, tell us you preached on this, but just give us some background. Tell us the story. What are what is this? All message right. So this about? is
1: so. Here's here's what my Bible heading says on on the chapter twenty one. It says David avenges the Gibeonites. So quick, quickly, here's the contours of these 14 verses. There's a famine in the land. It's lasted for three years. And David inquires of God, God, what should I do? And God tells David, quote, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So then David goes to the Gibeonites and is like, Hey, God told me that we've got some beef. And the Gibeonites are, no, nah, no, no, we're fine. And David's like, No, I'll do whatever. You tell me to. And they're like, Well, now that you mention it. <laughs> and they and they ask him, let's see. Uh, they, they said, uh, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that we would have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be handed over to us, and we will impale them before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. And the king said, I'll hand them over. So then David goes and rounds up seven sons from Saul's widows and hands them over to the Gibeonites. And they were put to death uh, publicly, impale, impaling them on, on, on poles, right? This is a pretty gruesome way to die. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the widows, Rizpah, uh, ke- uh, keeps, keeps vigil <clears throat> at, at her son's bodies for months. Um, And then the story ends by David going, and we're told at the end, David goes and gets the bones of Saul and Jonathan that weren't buried in Israel, retrieves those bones, and retrieves the bones slash bodies of the seven sons, gives them all a proper burial, and then we're told at the end in verse 14, let me flip the page, after that. God-heeded supplications for the land. Now, I've heard this text preached um, of like David being sort of a a prefiguring of Jesus, right? There's blood guilt on the land, and David, as the king, must make propitiation to God to expiate the sin from the land, and so then David. Gets seven sons. Seven is a very important number in Hebrew imagination. It means that's perfect number. There's a perfect number of children that are then, yes, Complete. that are then handed over sort of as a tit for tat, right? Eye for an eye, sort of justice. You, 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 you heard us, Saul. Now we're gonna have blood payment in return. And and David is able to resolve. God's judgment or God's curse on Israel by paying for sin in blood okay which you know fits really well into a lot of articulations of how the cross works how Jesus works right that there's that we're all languishing mm-hmm. in sin and death and Jesus pays our price our, our sinful debt with his own blood and his blood covers, us, and and delivers us from uh, spiritual famine, if you will, <laughs> right? Now, okay. I don't know. Have you guys, oh, have you heard this before? Does this make, does this sound familiar to you, Christy, the look on your face, you're kind of like, eh, I'm not buying it.
0: Well, it's so funny because like I taught First and Second Samuel several times to high school kids when I was a Bible teacher. And I never taught this section. Mm-hmm. There's probably a reason, right? Like, if I'm looking at 13 year olds, I don't mm-hmm. want to get into all of this, right? Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know, skipped it, I guess. But when I have heard it, I've, and, and this is like the first time we're actually talking about this right. on this podcast. Nope. Like, we didn't actually, you know, um, I always have been told, like, David spared Mephibosheth, yep. which is. That's the also son part of, of the story. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Right, and that that was like, you know, this. Oh, look at David was so faithful to his commitment to Jonathan and to his family, and mm-hmm. and yet these seven people yeah. die, yep. and so so how do yes. we reconcile yes.
1: that? So this is this is um, yeah. this isn't a genocidal text like the writer from the Gravity Commons was asking about, but this is a text that I think scandalizes our conscience there's these there's these yeah. children slash young men who didn't do any of the wrong but their dad did and someone who's not and their dad's dead and their moms are all widows and someone who's not their dad rounds them up hands them to foreign powers and they are executed publicly i think that that scandalizes our notions of justice doesn't seem just
2: And now, a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12 month cohort based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Well, and I think there's a further aspect to this is that God seems to endorse this. Yep. That seems to be right. Like, so even if we don't, even if we take out like the trying to trying to find Jesus in this text, which there's there's a whole there's a whole thing that, that we could do there the early church fathers do this all the time where they see the allegorical reading as the most important reading um, and they actually see the you know the scandalous nature of the story to be almost beside the point. They're like, well yeah sure um, but the, the important, important part is the is spiritual me- kind of the spiritual mean? message I named right 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 yeah exactly yeah. but then um, but then I, I think that I mean I, I read this text and it does seem to indicate to me, that the the famine is caused by God because of the blood guilt and David susses it out as a faithful king. And once this issue is taken care of and these kids are murdered, (laughs) then God's like, fine, good. Now we're back to, this is, this is what I wanted. And now I'll hear the prayers of the people and I will, I will end the famine. That to me is the deeper scandal is the character of God in the text. Seems to just be fine it's, with this. Seems to actually yes. endorse it. Seems to be like, yep, you figured it out. I wanted seven <laughs> kids murdered, and now I will end the famine.
0: Right? I don't know, y'all. I'm struggling with that because there's gotta be like All background. Right. Like, what's what's going on All in right, the Christy. neighboring right, countries? How is God different than the gods of the countries around right, that are so this, hearing this so story? This is, so I didn't Why?
1: preach, I didn't preach the spiritual allegorical reading about Jesus. And I didn't preach. Um, you, you, we must call killing seven children good. <clears throat> Here's what,
0: or from God. From
1: God, we we must not call that good. All okay. right. What I what I did what I did okay, su- suggest is, like, okay. Let me let me back up just for a second. Any faithful Jewish person who is hearing this text when jesus was in synagogue and they would hear this text read aloud we have to remember there wasn't television there wasn't radio mm-hmm. nobody had books there was storytelling and storytelling about scripture so when when scripture was read the scriptures are basically their religious and pop culture Imagination. So no no Hebrew person is listening to this text and not holding in their imagination the entire narrative of what's happening in scripture. They just would have had it in their minds. It was known to them. Like like we like we would have like if I were to say that's hot. (laughs) I'm like you you know you know who I'm quoting. And I'm I'm evoking an entire sort of like Paris Hilton world with that phrase, <clears throat> even though she hasn't said that phrase in 20 years. right? And so sure. and so I, just that happens all the time in our conversations. We just do it and we don't even know we're doing it yeah. or think about doing it. But I want to suggest that when mm-hmm. Hebrews listen to this text, just like Paris Hilton lives rent free in our heads, and we don't ask her to be there, she's just there. And we can bring her up to mind by saying, that's hot. Like in an instant, there she is, boom. Similarly, when Hebrews are listening and reading this text, all of the scriptures are coming online, boom, 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 boom. And this scripture is written to play off of those things. These are creative pieces of art. So that's one thing I just want to, I want to share, like, but. I think the text in itself indicates that what's happening on the surface of this narrative is no good. The text itself indicates to us that this is, you're right to think that this is not, this is some dirty business. You're right, reader. Mm -hmm. And and it's written in a creative way so that on the surface, David is the hero, but, but underneath David is the zero. <laughs> All right, so Hopefully. let me let me just walk through a couple things, and Christy, jump in, ask questions, uh, feel free to dispute because you know uh, God likes
2: that. That's what we said. That's what we said is a good idea. Yeah, Disputation.
1: So, so verse one says yeah, right. the God told David there's blood guilt on Saul and his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So, so David meets with the Gibeonites, right? They come up with a plan to make things square. Seven sons. Of Saul are executed, bodies are buried, famine ends, boom, shakalaka. Um, but notice that this word from God only comes to David. It's a private word. It's a God told me that then David acts on. So immediately the word of the Lord comes just to David. And that's interesting that no one else heard it, okay? Number one. Um, Number two, um, David says that God told him it's because of blood guilt there's a famine. Because of how Saul killed Gibeonites. Again, as a Hebrew listener, immediately you're you're glistening and you're going, wait, when did that happen? And you're asking around, when did that happen? What, what, what story from our scriptures, were, what, what's, what's God referring to? Mm-hmm. The fact is, there is zero scripture evidence about Saul being violent or killing Gibeonites. If it happened, it's not recorded anywhere. And this is the only place it's mentioned. Okay? So that's kind of a yellow flag number two for me, right? David hears a private word from God, and God references something that nobody else knows about in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, David doesn't say, oh God, whew, that sounds bad. Yeah, I'd like my people to eat. What should we do about it? Number three is David doesn't ask God how to resolve this. David asks the Gibeonites.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is interesting, right the Gibeonites aren't the Gibeonites aren't part of the covenant, and David's asking somebody outside the covenant how to resolve a covenantal curse yes again, this is something that like is very subtle, but as a Hebrew person is listening, it's like nah, nope, no like that I think mm-hmm. that pops for them more four mm-hmm. the Gibeonites. So I got to read this because I just skipped over it, but listen to this. David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make expiation that you may or propitiation that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to David, it is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put anyone to death in Israel. Did you hear that? When David asked the Gibeonites how to resolve this, they're like, now nah, we don't need money or we don't need any deaths. No more deaths, please. Right. So they yeah. say, we don't want to kill any Israelites to David. Mm-hmm. Then David says, uh, we don't want to put anyone to death in Israel. David said, what do you say that I should do for you? So David persists. David persists mm-hmm. all right so real quick this is I'm gonna pull back for a second that's like five yellow flags and we're 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 only in like verse five okay but mm-hmm. I want to pull back for a second Christy and you've got a king who's asking people outside of the Covenant what do you want me to do for you and they tell the king to kill innocent people. Does that plot, theme, strike any familiarity bells for you? Ask,
0: ask for whatever you want
1: and I'll do it for you. There's another king in Israel's history yeah. who says that. Um, but it's at a dinner party when his wife's daughter has danced for him. Ask whatever you want, and I'll do it for you, Herod says. And Herodias says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So when when that story happens in the Gospels, and we hear King Herod say, whatever you want, I'll do for you, People who know their scriptures, Jews who know their scriptures, are going to say, David said that same thing. And it led him to kill seven sons of Saul.
0: Okay. There's a I'm lot I'm not here.
1: even done. I mean, I'm just getting warmed up.
0: I know. I know. You gave <laughs> me like five things to think about. Um, and of course, my brain is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to right. go back because... What was the big deal with the Gibeonites in the first place? Right? They're according to like Joshua, they weren't supposed to like kill any of them. Is this true? There's like there's like history there yes. already that God had kind of commanded them, like, hey, yes, don't harm them. Right. Right? And then and then they did. And so Where, like, okay, I'm going to go back to the super simple interpretation that a lot of people give for this kind of thing of, like, the consequences of sin and how it follows suit for the land and the people and the generations to come. How does that play into this of, like you know, because, because it seems like we're, we're blank. And this is like probably my evangelical background coming out, but I'm like trying to understand how does that play into like, instead of saying, okay, this is God's fault. This is what God condoned. This is what God wanted. How do we not just get to the place of saying, man, no, people are screwed up and this is a history book of saying what happened. And so these people just, this is what happened in their history. And, and they're kind of giving a tribute to God even though it, it it's God's not like blessing it and saying yes yes yes. Mm-hmm. Just like we in America would like attribute like God bless America because quote unquote we're safe mm-hmm. in these whatever but like I, I I don't think that that means that like America's doing everything great and God's like yeah that's why there's not a war right now on your land. I mean that's So you're a little controversial you're, but you ben, know what I'm do
1: saying you- can you uh, summarize that?
2: Do you? Know- <laughs> I don't know if I can. I I think I think Christy. I hear you. Um, I hear you wrestling with this, and I, uh, having heard the sermon, I do think. Um, part of me, but just wants to say, like, well, just just wait, like, allow that tension, <laughs> like, allow that tension <laughs> to be there, right? Because I sure. think you're feeling yes. the tension that we named at at the outset of the episode that a lot of people feel when we start to lean into the scriptures in this new way, it's deeply uncomfortable because the options we fear that are available to us are one. We have to just say that this was a good idea. God wanted children of Saul to be murdered, to deal with the blood guilt that God, God's hands were tied. God had couldn't bless the land until these kids were murdered. Um, Or uh, God had nothing to do with this. These are just, you know, Hebrew people telling their story and they put God in the text sometimes, you know, uh, playing, playing a role that God really has nothing to do with. Like we, I think we fear those are our only two options. Um, But I, I want to encourage you and our listeners, if you're feeling the same way, just, just sit, just sit in the tension and just, just recognize you don't need an answer right now. Just recognize. Not dichotomous thinking. Right. This is options deeply uncomfortable and okay. is there something else going on here that I'm that I need to Listen. like perceive? And maybe the only way to perceive it is just to sit in it yeah. for just a little bit longer. Yeah. All
0: right. Anyway. Uh, okay, all right. Matt, keep going. Keep We're gonna keep. because <laughs> I, I don't want to have a heart attack. That's I need all we have time more. for today, folks. <laughs> That's all I we have time
2: that. for. <laughs> Christy's no right. longer a Christian. Half of our just, listeners have left. Just the faith. to recap
1: right. here, because I uh, we did pause there. <laughs> so only David hears the yeah. voice, right? David doesn't ask God for how to resolve it. That's two. David goes to the Gibeonites to resolve it, who are outside the covenant, to resolve a covenant thing. That's three. The Gibeonites say, you know what? We're good. No worries. And David says, nope, I'll do whatever you want. That's four. Mm -hmm. The other king in scripture, in the Jewish scriptures, who says, I'll do whatever you want, killed a righteous person and was a godless king, Herod, five. Okay? That's where we're at. That's where we're at. And by themselves, none of these things are like a deal breaker. But I want to suggest that this the person who writes this is building those tension points in the narrative to bring up the kinds of questions and anxieties you're experiencing, Christy. That's the work the text wants to do. So let's keep going. All right. So then we're told after the Gibeonites are like, well, if you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna insist. Oh, you can kill seven people, <laughs> you know? And so then, it, then we're told um, that uh, David spared Mephibosheth, like you mentioned, but we're told that David took Armoni and uh, the t- two sons of uh, of the, Saul's lower wife, Rizpah, and handed them over to the Gibeonites, along with five sons of Saul's daughter, Merib. And then they were hung publicly. Okay? So if we're at five, here's a sixth. When, when, uh, that, the Hebrew, David took Armoni and what's the name of, uh, yeah, it says Armoni and Mephibosheth, but I think it's a, one of those textual things where he spared Mep- Mephibosheth. Um, so Merib Baal is, is the note here. Okay, so anyway, takes these two sons of Rizpah. That phrase, David took, is the same phrase from the David and Bathsheba story when david saw her and he took her and raped her right so again it's like a it's something that would evoke another action when david took something that has negative okay. connotations to it right um so that's number 6 number 7 these seven people are dead and they're dead by the end of verse 9 but the famine isn't lifted until verse 14 so if all it was was these seven people had to die for the famine to be ended, which is what um, mm-hmm. David told the Gibeonites, then, then it should be over. But it's not. Mm. That's yellow flag number seven. Right? Things aren't happening the way David said they would. Right? Now now we get Rizpah. Rizpah is... Um, was a lower wife of Saul. Sometimes she's called a concubine, but she actually was a wife, right? Of, of, uh, she was a legal wife of Saul and she wasn't first in line, right? Um, mm-hmm. so she's a lower wife of Saul who has no say over her sons being taken from her. Uh, David, again, this is a theme over and over. David does what he wants with the women in his life without their consent or agency, et cetera. Um, and we're told this, 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 is, this is, I need to read this because it's pretty powerful. So remember, her two sons, along with five other sons from, her, um, from another wife of Saul, are publicly executed and left on poles. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, took sackcloth and spread it on a rock for herself from the beginning of harvest until rain fell on them from the heavens. She did not allow the birds of the air to come on the bodies by day or the wild animals by night. Six months, Rizpa lives outside, keeping vigil over the rotting corpses of her sons. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. For the first time in the text, I'm moved to something. Uh, I'm, I, for the first time in the text, somebody emerges who's acting righteously. So six months fighting wild beasts, watching her sons rot in the sun. And then the next verse, listen to this. When David was told what Rizpah, daughter of Ayah, the lower wife of Saul, had done. This is when he goes and gets the bones of Jonathan and David. So what emerges is that Rizpah is keeping the injustice of what has happened before David and all of Israel. She makes sure that the injustice done to her and her sons doesn't get lost in the news cycle. She keeps it public. She keeps vigil over these bodies so that the bones aren't carried away and we just forget it happened. She protects Mm -hmm. this desecration of her son's bodies, right? So that David has to hear about it.
0: Right. They're deliberately left unburied as this kind of showing that this execution wasn't... But that's...
1: I think that's, that's the eighth said. thing Christy yeah. is that if it was just about mm-hmm. seven if it was just about blood guilt, then these bodies are killed taken down and buried but yeah. not only were they unburied, which is shameful and is mm-hmm. uh in mm-hmm. other places in scripture we're told that to be unburied is a curse
2: mm-hmm.
1: so just um yeah is uh, so just back in 2 Samuel 19. There's a, an aged man named uh, Barzali who did not wish to go with David because, quote, that I may die in my own city and be buried by the grave of my father and my mother. So this is a huge hope for Israelites, right? This is why we're told mm-hmm. in kind of weird places where people are buried. Because it's, it's super important, right? So not only are they left unburied, which is a shame to do to them, but they're also hung on a tree. What do we know about people hung on a tree, Chris? Double curse. So they're doubly cursed. These bodies are doubly cursed.
2: And again, all... At least that's what David seems to want to uh, do to them. So
1: this is David's choice. Because as soon as he hears about Rizpah, which is a very subtle kind of like turn in the narrative, he can choose to bury them if he wants, but he doesn't. So here's where it gets interesting, right? I, I forget how many yellow flags we're up to now, Christy. I think it's like 32. <laughs> so Rizpa's, I want to suggest Rizpa's action shames David to do righteously by her sons. She doesn't have any power, any say. Right. But what she can do is hold David's shame publicly before him. Right? Because he's not acting righteously towards these. If this was really Gibeonite's idea, then there's no reason for for the public shaming of these dead bodies to endure. Right? Yeah. So then then if it's if if it's just about these seven bodies, he should go grab these bodies and bury them. But we're they're not told that. So here's red flag or yellow flag number 74. When David was told that Rizpah daughter of Aya, the lower wife of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the people of Jabeth Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square of Beth-shan, where the Philistines had hung them up on the day the Philistines kill, sold, killed Saul in Goboah he brought up from there the bones of Saul and the bones of his son, Jonathan. What emerges here is that David had not given Saul and his best friend, Jonathan, a proper burial. Right. Mm -hmm. Saul, a king of Israel, and Jonathan, his best friend, David had been tolerating their bones being stolen and not buried with their ancestors
0: it's fascinating because there's, there's a whole section of him yep. mourning over them. Yep. Right. Right. And grieving and, right. and, and, and people preach that as like, oh man, like what a righteous man. Yeah. We'll be right back.
2: Let's get back to the show. Well, I, th- I think, I mean, David, I mean, t- parenthetically, I think, I think one of the things about learning to read scripture in this way is you, you realize that David was a very complex man. It probably was righteous for him to uh, mourn and lament, but he didn't, you know, he didn't go all the way with it. He allowed their bones for whatever reason, you know, it was just too much trouble, but he was allowing sort of the desecration of Saul and Jonathan, you know, allowing for them to be sort of in this limbo state of not being buried with their ancestors. And so, you know, what what I'm hearing here then is that Rizpah, this lower wife, secondary wife of Saul, uh, her actions, yeah, shame David in a way to say, you know what? It's not just these sons of Saul, it's Saul, it's Jonathan. Like, I need to do right by this, you know, my friend and this former king of Israel and these people. Because that's eventually what happens, right? He collects their bones, their bones. And then he, and the bones, and the bones, of, the bones seven. of the seven. And
1: so what emerges here is the question, why would why would David leave unburied Saul and Jonathan's bones? Why would he do that? Mm-hmm. And, and why would... And so now you have this entire... All these yellow flags start coming online, and you're like, did David hear from God? Yeah. <laughs> did or did David hear from, hear from David? David? <laughs> who, who can verify yeah. that David heard from God? Well, only David was there. So we take his word for it right? And just one of these flags by itself, it's like, ah, that's weird. But accumulating these flags in the narrative is, I think, a creative way of telling a story that on the surface seems straightforward, but then underneath there's this current of Rizpah is the one who ends the famine, not David. Rizpah is the one who holds before David. That what I think are his political machinations, his political trying to secure his line by killing political enemies. Remember, Saul's sons were the were the mm-hmm. uh, in the lineage rightful heirs of the throne. Right. right. So he right. is politically expedient for them to die for David.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also for it not and also for it not
1: to look, like David's, not to look like David's idea. <laughs> yeah. Christy, Guys. come on now.
0: Can, okay, can I just say like, I mean, I'm not sitting in church, but I'm sitting in church. Mm-hmm. because as you share this, um, and I'm not saying this is the only application, but I think there's something for me to chew on is where am I quote unquote manipulating? Like it seems like David just manipulated the whole situation to kind of make it what he wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. Right? And we do that. I should say I do that. I I see places in my life where like I'm Mm -hmm. just like David. Yeah. And there needs to be there needs to be some confession. There needs to be some serious, like, let's not just half obey. Mm -hmm. Let's not just grieve the loss of the king and his Mm -hmm. son. Actually, obey what God has called us to do, and bury the bones.
2: Now you're getting into Bible yeah. teacher mode. There,
0: come on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the other thing, and I remember feeling this as as uh, I was listening to this sermon. I think the other, another potential sort of response to this is is to follow the example of Rizpah. Oh, yeah, right? and and to because there's all kinds of powerful people in our world today who are doing the very same things that David's doing, right? They're they're sort of they've got these political machinations about how to secure power and privilege for themselves and for the people, you know, that are part of their little cadre. And how do we, you know, how do we publicly oppose some of those acts of yes. injustice? You yes. Know? There's so, a couple things. So what I I guess there's a few more things
1: here we don't have to belabor them. But uh-huh. it's really clear that the land was healed not by the seven sons that were killed but by David rounding up Saul and Jonathan's bones along with the seven people and giving them a proper righteous burial. So what's, what, mm-hmm. what, what then the text suggests is that it's not the blood guilt of the Gibeonites that was causing the famine. It was David's in unwillingness to go get those bones and bury them. Mm-hmm. Because listen to how this ends. They buried the bones of Saul and of the son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zella, in the tomb of his father Kish. They did all that the king commanded. After that, God heeded supplications for the land. Notice the end, too, doesn't say God, God did what he said he'd do the focus isn't on god's word to david mm-hmm. at the end the focus is on the people's prayers for the famine to end see these mm-hmm. little subtle things are so important and if if this is my whole mm-hmm. life if all i do is think and talk about these stories it's like if i'm watching um parks and recreation for the eighth time i i can i can make the jokes with the people right i i i can mm-hmm. I can quote to you my 10 favorite Leslie Nope quotes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how people hear these scriptures. So these little details are important. So I guess what I want to say to our listeners is, I don't think every problem text is written in this way. Meaning, on the surface, it looks really bad, but if you pay attention to it, it gets better. I'm not saying every text can be handled that way, but I'm saying this mm-hmm. is one text that is scandalous and we don't have to throw the text away because the text
2: itself knows that it's scandalous. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, the more practical takeaways, perhaps, for people who are feeling like, I don't know how this looks, yeah. is you don't actually have to know at the beginning of reading a text or wrestling with a text what it should look like or what the nice little you know, like it doesn't all they don't all resolve like this, like you're saying. Where it's like, oh, okay, Rizpa's the hero. I I can get on board with that. <laughs> like I think that like being willing to let the text disturb you is part of reading it as scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Like reading it this is goes back to what you said at the beginning, Christy, where I think a lot of us are trained to think of scripture as an answer book and it helps us be right about things. Um, and I just think that's not. I mean, even if that was it, like, how lame would that be? You know. Yes. Like, if that's all it is, but Scripture is meant to actually disturb us. That's part of how it acts as God's word. Is it? Yeah. Is it disrupts our habits of thinking? It disturbs the way that we normally think about these things. And so, I think the mistake we make is by trying to resolve the tension too quickly. By either saying, I have to scandalize my conscience, I guess that's fine, you know, whatever God says is good, and that's it. Or by just, you know, throwing the scriptures out. And those are both ways of resolving the tension. Yeah. But I think the faithful thing to do is stay in the tension. Let it disturb you. Be honest about how it disturbs you. And that's the way through. That's the way that, that's the pathway for yeah. interpretation. Is Letting the letting it disturb you, and doing this together in community as well. I will say, right? Like, don't yes. think that you've got to come up with some sort of faithful interpretation inside your own head. Yeah. Like talk with people about it. You know, in spaces that um, where it's safe to do so.
0: Well, we are like close to time, friends. Yep. <laughs> it's <laughs> been <laughs> good conversation. Yeah, I'm gonna have stuff to chew on, stuff to confess. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for bringing Chrissy. I'm church, really glad Matt. that you. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. I think you're processing this in real time is really helpful. It's really helpful I because I think it articulates and gives voice to a lot of the problems we have in approaching texts like this. Um, and I'll just say, yeah. one of the things that makes it really difficult to, to make Rizpah the hero and not David is we have a theology and a culture and a tradition that loves heroes. But the Jewish scriptures mm-hmm. are, and we see this even in the New Testament, where all, all of the apostles are idiots, like like right. uh, Peter's a wonderful man of faith. Don't get me wrong, but he also the scripture right. is super. But also, is not ashamed at all to to publicly expose his gaffes, right? And I think that mm-hmm. we we have mm-hmm. a particular tradition in the West of hero worship that we can't talk about. We 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 shy away from readings where David isn't the hero or David is seen to be a bad guy, and mm-hmm. I just want to say that that's a cultural problem we have. The scriptures are not teaching us to do that, and in fact, if we continue to do that, we'll be unable to read the scriptures faithfully. Yeah. So that's also an issue I think yep. here that I'm running into when I read texts. I, you know, all I, it's like we talked about earlier with the proverbs, Christy. Like, all we want to do is hold on to. Well, David was a man after God's own heart. So, so he and and right, and right. uh, Jesus is called the son of David. So, David must be the best guy mm-hmm. ever. <laughs>
2: right. and, and he's just yeah. not. When, when actually <laughs> he's not, that's one of the one of the big as we just parenthetically, as we close here, one of the big revelations for me, like, our lectionary has taken us through the life of Saul and David, like. Um, First and Second Samuel, and um, one of the big revelations was realizing, oh, Second Samuel is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. It like it's the story of the downfall of David, and ultimately, like the downfall of the kingdom. Um, Where it was like, you know, David, you know, David like kills kills Goliath. It's up into the right, but Bathsheba is the moment, and after that, everything just starts falling apart because of his own inability to honor the women in his life, his own inability like to discipline his sons. Like there's so much there that's just tragedy after tragedy, which you have to hold in tension with God saying, This is a man after my own heart, and after, you know, all the honor that David gets as well, which is like, okay, well that that's also true. <laughs> you know? Um, so it just is uh it's complex. It 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 and I think just staying mm-hmm. Sitting in the tension mm-hmm. is the discipline. I think um, that a lot of us would ju- we're just uncomfortable with it, and um, but there's a lot of goodness uh, if we're willing to.
1: So, listener, so. um, I think we'll put. I think we'll put my sermon in the show notes if you want to hear the sermon I preached at our church. Um, I also preached last week on First uh, Kings five, where Solomon builds the temple. Which, on the surface, seems like this—you know—it's we're finally getting the temple we're getting the band together we're going to build God a house mm-hmm. it's going to be amazing and i did the similar thing with that text mm-hmm. to show like that text is clear mm-hmm. that what solomon is doing is egyptifying israel he's turning israel into the thing that israel was delivered from and it's and again it's one of those things where on the surface you know is a temple good you know f- sure right new i mean we have temple imagery in the new testament about about Jesus and God and the people of mm-hmm. God. But in the telling of the story, the writers are saying, notice what's happening here. Notice what's happening here. Notice what's happening here. So, yeah. um, anywho, thanks. Thanks, listener, for coming along with us. If you have more questions, uh, you can leave us a voicemail or yeah. write us at pod- podcast at gravity. Is it podcast at gravity leadership still, been?
2: Okay. Uh, yeah, that'll get there. Um, we're, cha- we're, we haven't announced this yet, um, but we're, but yeah, we're, we're undergoing a few changes and, uh, as is our style, uh, we're not doing a big launch. We're sort of, uh, soft launching it all. Just doing all it. So yeah, we're just doing it. So anyway, glad, glad to have you on all your right. journey listener and, uh, we'll keep this series. We'll continue. I think it's going at least, uh, through the end of the year and probably further. Uh, we've got lots of people that we've already talked to and lots more that we're going to talk to about, um, yeah. the Bible. What do we do with it? All right. How does it work? See you
0: next time. Peace, friends. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it.
1: Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
2: You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
0: Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com.
1: We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message. And click the Start
2: Recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.